It's like waiting for episodes, you know, to come out on Netflix, like when the next season comes. And I told you I would dawdle, didn't I? Is everyone there? Acts chapter 20? Beautiful. Beginning at verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came to the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So... Be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord.
Uh, evening, everyone. Um, just let me get set up here, and then we'll get started. All right, um, as we start today, uh, let's pray for God to speak to us through his word. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, please change our hearts and minds, and most importantly, point us towards Jesus. Amen. Now, when I think of goodbyes, I think of movies, and two examples come to mind. The first one, so long, partner, and everyone grabs a tissue and cries. Woody says goodbye to Andy in Toy Story 3. Or another one, you cannot win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can ever possibly imagine. That's Obi-Wan Kenobi of Star Wars Episode 4, if you didn't know. Now, we remember the last words of these characters from these movies, and we like to have it similarly with people in our own lives. We we attach great importance to them. Someone goes on a long holiday, and you want to give them advice. Someone finishes up at work, and they give some good advice about their time there, and they give a final leaving speech. Now, Woody in Toy Story describes his owner Andy as a partner. And this is what he thinks of him. He values him highly. And we see this mostly after Andy leaves. His demeanour and the way that he treated Woody impacted him greatly. Now, if you were to leave this church, this area for good, what would people say about you? What would they say you were about? And would it truly reflect you as a person? Now, in our passage today in Acts chapter 20, we see Paul give a final goodbye to the Ephesian elders. In verse 38, it says, what grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Now, what does Paul think that should be thought of him? What impact has Paul had? And why does Luke, the writer of Acts, want us to appreciate this long farewell? And as we look at this context for the goodbye that Paul gives, we start to see the reason why Paul was so loved by the Ephesian elders. And it's because he was an imitator of Jesus. And for our uh, sermon outline, we're up to point one. From verse 13, we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Now, this section in Acts continues with the second half of Paul's third missionary journey. And he has just come from Troas and is heading back towards Jerusalem. And if you have a look at the screen here, here's a nifty little diagram um, and a visual aid of what this section of his journey looked like. And it's the wonderful covered orange circle. So firstly, we see in this section that Paul doesn't begin travelling by the sea, which might seem a bit strange at first. And it may, Luke makes an inclusion that he went from Troas to Asos by foot. Now, one suggested reason why Paul doesn't make the journey by sea 
could be that he wanted to spend more time with the believers in Troas to encourage and strengthen them there. So as Paul and his travelling companions made their, make their way down the east coast of Asia, they stopped by in a few ports. And we see this in verses 14 to 16. Now, one key detail that Luke includes is that they end up in Miletus, rather than going back to the familiar territory of, of the Ephesians. Paul had spent three years in Ephesus before coming to this point, and he'd made many long-term connections. But as we saw a few weeks ago in the later half of chapter 19, there was a riot from an angry mob which Paul was caught up in. And in order for the good news of Jesus to continue to spread, Paul didn't want to get caught up in there again. So he chose to encourage the believers from a faraway town. And we see this in verse 17. Now, not only was going to be a possible risk for Paul to go to Ephesus, but he was in a hurry. He was in a hurry to reach the day of Pentecost. Now, the ESV translation uh, reinforces the urgency of Paul wanting to be there and says that he was hastening to be at Jerusalem. Now, if Luke wanted to forget verse 16 and not write it in, would we really miss anything? Like, really, it's just talking about Paul's journey, right? But this verse includes that he wanted to get to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Now, what's so important about the day of Pentecost? Pentecost was the festival of weeks, and we found this in Leviticus chapter 23. And it was the Jewish celebration for God's people as they celebrated the beginning of the wheat harvest. And in Acts chapter 2... For the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down upon believers, enabling them to speak in different languages for the advancement of the gospel. Paul wanted to be a witness to both Jews celebrating the Old Testament festival of weeks as well as the others there too. And he wanted to remember what God had done through his spirit. So Paul made a great priority to be there with the believers. And he did this despite what challenges may lay ahead. And we see this in verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul knew what could happen if he went to Jerusalem, but we see that he wants the good news of Jesus to continue to spread as he seeks to accomplish his task. Now, if we compare Jesus' own mission as he headed towards Jerusalem with what we're learning about Paul here, there are striking similarities Jesus headed resolutely towards Jerusalem for the celebration of Passover. Now, it should have been a joyous occasion, but he went knowing that he'd face persecution and death instead. Paul now resolutely heads towards Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost, and it should have been a joyous occasion for him, but he went going knowing that he would face persecution. Now, Jesus would complete the task set before him, he would become the sacrificial Passover lamb so that you and I might be forgiven for our sins. And Paul, in a similar manner, 
would complete the task that Jesus set for him, considering his own life worth nothing, in order to see the Jews and Gentiles hear the good news and repent. Now, what does Paul imitating Jesus have to do with us? Paul was 2,000 years ago. We don't have a vision from Jesus, and we don't have any apostolic authority at all. But as just as Jesus commanded Paul to be committed in completing his gospel work, he tells us to do the same. In Luke 9, 23, it says, He said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And Paul also tells us to follow in his footsteps. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Following Jesus is not just a half-hearted effort. It's not just when it feels good, nor when it's easy. Sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's tiring. And it requires serious commitment. Now, I like to think about the topic of commitment using a picture of bacon and eggs. It's a right reaction. Now, would you believe there's only two ingredients, unlike on the photo, in bacon and eggs? They're just bacon and eggs. <laughs> but they come from two different parties. The eggs come from a chicken, while the bacon comes from a pig. Now, the chicken, although a valuable contributor for the meal through the means of an egg, gives up nothing in comparison to the pig. The pig, the pig gives up his life for the meal. The pig, he's committed. Now, using this analogy in mind, are we committed to imitate Paul just as Paul imitated Jesus for the good news of the gospel? So Paul wants the Ephesian elders of Ephesus to remember and talk about his commitment to the gospel. But why does he keep reinforcing this? Not only because they won't see him again, but because of wolves. From verse 26. Therefore I, tell, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul has worked tirelessly to ensure that the Ephesians are grounded in the good news of the gospel. He has testified to them about this good news and of God's grace. He tells them he has done his best to ensure that they are grounded in the true gospel, which he describes here as the whole will of God. And it's interesting to note here that Paul just doesn't say that he proclaimed the will of God, but rather he proclaimed the whole will of God. He didn't leave out parts that he thought people might not like. Rather, he told them the whole message. And this was because they needed to know what God had done for them so that they could stand against the wolves that were coming and exercise their discernment. Verse 28 continues. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought, with his own blood. Paul charges the Ephesian elders to have a specific role in watching over the flock, which we know is the congregation. Now, it's also helpful to note here that the word elders can be used interchangeably. 
They can be used for overseers, ministers, or pastors. And before he tells them to keep watch from wolves, Paul mentions the reason why they should do so in the second half of verse 28. The congregation, as well as the pastor, is described as the church of God, which Jesus bought with his own blood. And it's important to highlight here the unity in the gospel that we have with the Christians here in Ephesus. They are not just a church of God, but rather they are the church of God. And we are the same church of God. We are purchased by the blood of Jesus, and all of us belong to God if we are in his family and trust in Christ. Continuing in verse 29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples away from them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, each of you, night and day with tears. After being told that the true gospel has been given them by Paul, and they should have no excuse not to believe it. In verse 29, Paul gives them this warning, that savage wolves will come to the flock and destroy them and draw them away from the true gospel. All throughout the New Testament, we see this idea of false teachers coming to destroy the flock, as it was such a huge issue among the church, and it still is today. One of the reasons why Paul was so eager to tell the Ephesians elders about this was because the false teachers preached another gospel, another Jesus, vastly different to Paul himself. And we can see this in the comparison of verse 20 and 21 to verse 30. It says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, uh, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And in comparison to verse 30, which is about the false teachers, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Whilst Paul preached the whole will of God without hesitation, these false teachers distorted the truth and they didn't preach the whole message of the gospel. And because they didn't preach the whole gospel, people were more likely to be drawn to them and drawn away from the truth. And just like Paul, Jesus himself warned about these wolves coming in Matthew 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Just as there were false teachers in the day of Paul and the Ephesians, there are still those today who outwardly look like sheep, but on the inside are ferocious wolves. They preach Jesus, but they preach a different Jesus. They preach a different gospel. Now, some of these examples uh, of today's false teachings, one could be the prosperity gospel where you'll be rewarded with health and wealth in this life now if you follow Jesus. Or the teaching that we can earn salvation by ourselves, that we don't need this thing called God's grace because there's still some good in us despite all of our sin. 
Now, we know that both of these are absolute rubbish, as they're not in the Bible. God saves us not to be wealthy in this life now, but to serve him with the sure hope of heaven. And we know that we're saved by his grace and mercy, not because of what we do. So flee from anything that looks like this. Run from it. Because Paul warned the Ephesians day and night for three years, and that's a long time. So we should do the same. So, so far we've seen Paul's charge to be more like Jesus, as well as his encouragement to stay away from false teachers. But what underpins the whole message that Paul preaches? The grace of God. Verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's ministry is based on God's grace. It's what he is testifying about and it is what he is shaped by. So much so that he is committed. He's willing to give up his life for it. And we see that his life is shaped by grace as the gospel powerfully works through him. In verse 32, Now I commit to, you, to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. One of the impacts on Paul because of the gospel is that he is able to be built up. And the Ephesians, like Paul, can be built up and encouraged too. This is because the inheritance is for all who embrace the gospel and are sanctified. The gospel is good news that we as sinners were separated from God because of our sin, but now we can be in a right relationship with him through faith in Christ. And through God's grace, we now have an inheritance that waits for us in heaven, which is eternal life. And grace also changed how Paul lived. From verse 33, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than receive. Paul, as a result of knowing God's grace, lives for him in all he does. Paul's genuine care for others is seen through the supplying needs of himself and his other companions. And this is because of the powerful work of the gospel in his life. And Paul sums it up with a quote from Jesus, saying there's more blessed to give than receive. And this shows the servant-heartedness of Paul's ministry. Now, this quote from Jesus is not found in any of the Gospels, but it is most likely that Paul received this quote of Jesus from the disciples, whom he would have been in contact with throughout his missionary journeys. And not only did Paul talk about himself living out God's grace in the past, but Luke, the writer of this passage, records that both he and the elders, that is Paul and the elders, live it out in the present. 
and they do this through prayer. Verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Now, as some of you know, I'm trained to become a maths teacher. Who likes maths? There's no one, that's okay. In order to teach maths, you need to somewhat understand it. (laughs) And it's a bit of a hard slog. Now, if I graduated with a maths degree and then decided to teach art, no offence to art teachers, I wouldn't be using what I know effectively. The same thing goes for God's grace. If we know that we've been given an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade then we should show it in all that we do. So today we've seen, uh, from our passage, Paul's final farewell to his close friends at Ephesus. And in his farewell, we've seen similarities to that of Jesus, as Paul is heading resolutely towards Jerusalem. We've also seen that Paul wants the Ephesians to beware of wolves and false teachers, so he warned them to stay strong in the faith. And just as we've seen, Paul has shown the importance and the impact that God's grace can have in his life. Through the partnership of the Ephesian church and Paul, we're able to see the effectiveness of biblical gospel ministry. And this biblical gospel ministry is the same for us. It helps us to imitate Jesus, exercise discernment and know God's grace. Through biblical gospel ministry, we're able to imitate Jesus, just like Paul, exercise discernment, just like Paul, and know God's grace, just like Paul. So two quick implications to finish. We've seen in our passage today that Paul warns about wolves coming to destroy the flock. But what are these characteristics of wolves that Christians should look out for? Now, it's not like the wolves walk around with big signs saying, I'm here to deceive you, don't come near me. So the question is, how do we discern who these wolves are? Now, the first characteristic that I think of a wolf is that they don't teach straight lies, but rather they distort the truth just a little bit. And they take the truth of the gospel and adjust it slightly to suit their agenda or draw masses away from the true gospel. Now, I looked up uh, online a random quote from a church pastor in America, and it says this, Our assignment has never been about what we can do for God, but what God can do through us. Now, this was from one of the books that he had written in 2017, and it is true that God works through us to accomplish his purposes, just like he worked through Paul. But we are to serve God in all we do, it's not as if God is the genie from Aladdin. God does, not ser- God does not serve us as if we are actually God. And this is called selfism. It's all about the self. It's massive everywhere today, everywhere you look. And we know this isn't the truth. And to sum it up perfectly, when talking about selfism, a Christian rapper puts it like this. Selfism the fastest growing religion, they just dress it up and call it Christian. So don't be deceived by half-truths. Rather, seek the full truth found in the gospel. 
And another way in which we can understand how wolves operate is through their character, not just through their teaching. It's possible to have a Christian leader who is technically theologically sound, but whose behaviour is not transparent. Paul in our passage today talks about his own behaviour as an example. And in verse 18 and verse 20, Paul starts by saying, you know how I lived. He's transparent about his actions and is above reproach in all the things that he does. And he's not like a sneaky politician who is never transparent. Now, the same goes uh, for those who proclaim the will of God, uh, word of God to congregations. They must be transparent, above reproach, not just telling people about God on a Sunday and then living in deep-rooted sin and selfishness during the week. Now, as you know, uh, some of our ministers are currently away uh, on well-deserved leave, hence why I'm preaching. And as they've gone for a few weeks, here's a fun idea, why don't we just use artificial intelligence to give us the sermon? <laughs> That's the right reaction too. Now, just, just like this church gathering in Germany, where for 40 minutes they listen to a computer preach to them from using sources all over the web, and it's packed. Now, why shouldn't we use this? Is this just a quick and easy fix? We don't know the character of the preachers that this computer is taking from. We don't know about these uh, these preachers and their attitudes. They could be all false teachers and no one would know. When you're thinking about a character of a teacher, their behaviour is vital. Find people like Paul and you're doing well. Find people who look different to Paul, just like the computer, and you're in trouble. So second implication, the culture of grace. Notice again uh, that Paul gives a super compressed summary of the gospel with the overarching theme being grace. He mentions the word twice and also speaks of God himself shedding his own blood for the church. If you ever find yourself at a church where the teaching seems top-notch and biblical, but you can't help but feel constantly not good enough, or that you're not doing enough to be saved, it's no good. We here at church can foster a good culture of grace when dealing with one another, in how we speak to one another, and this should be coming from the front too, from our pastors and leaders. And most importantly, we operate in grace, because it is the grace shown to us in Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ and your grace that we receive through faith because of his death and resurrection. Help us to imitate Paul in word and deed and to glorify you in all we do. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.